When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. All right. Uh, welcome to Film Study. I feel a little awkward. I haven't been on the front of these shows for a few months, but this show marks the start of the 2021 season because it's our first back to our normal season format of a defense show, an offense show, and so on. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm excited as the first chance to really break down this defense from a game and an exciting game in the fact that a meaningless stat continued and extended and even more fun for a Saturday the Ravens defense uh, gave up less points than the Orioles on the same <laughs> Saturday so we don't always get to see that it's preseason but it's still some fun meaningless stats uh, joining us who I believe was just on the podcast this past week on an episode but he's back is Gabe Gabe how you doing I'm doing great, Josh. I'm glad to be back on the the post-game analysis podcast. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so this game's looking back at preseason game one uh, with the Saints, 17-14. We're going to focus on the defense again, right? That's right. That's right. So uh, 18 in a row is the first thing. Uh, I, I, again, I've preached this for a while, that it's about defensive depth, and, and I think this was the case again. A uh, lot of trouble with a couple of quarterbacks who were able to manage the football, not all that well themselves, in uh, Hill and Winston. Uh, but when they got to a, a rookie quarterback in the second half, they certainly had their way with Book in terms of moving him around and, and making him uncomfortable. 
Yeah, I was um, a little worried that that 17-game winning streak was going to come to an end about midway through the third quarter. It seemed like, you know, the Ravens offense couldn't really get it done. The defense was playing really well, but, um, you know, six turnovers and you still only have, eight, uh, what, 17 points at the end of the game? That's not exactly what you want to see. But, you know, they pulled it out 18 in a row. Most impressive stat in all of uh, professional sports. <laughs> all right uh those games are fun to watch and that defensive depth is what makes them fun to watch for me i like writing up the the defensive analysis of the of the udfas and a lot of the on the roster bubble players uh that that's exciting to me i, I love watching preseason football for that reason and i have to kind of mute myself a little bit because you know in our seats I'm kind of in the front row of a, of, a, of a section that's raised up. And when I jump up, I'm getting all excited. And then people behind me are probably looking at me like, oh, there's an idiot. You know, this is a, this is a preseason game. Doesn't he realize this? Yeah, this is a fun one, though. I mean, like I said, six turnovers. And, you know, some of them were kind of not so forced. There's just kind of the, the Saints making some bad mistakes. But, you know, some of them, you know, the Ravens, they, they were in the right place at the right time. There were some good um, plays up front by, I think, some of the defensive front seven. I think it was a good showing on the individual level across the board for the Ravens defense. Yeah, I agree. In, in fact, it's almost like, Every player who really did something bad on defense, and maybe I'll come up with an exception to that, almost like won a rematch of some important type. Like Westry had a had a stupid freaking penalty that extended a drive, but then he made a tip. And you know Wade had a yeah. had a, a penalty to extend a drive, and then he made the big interception. And you know, so we'll go through these individually, but but uh, yeah, they they. They played some great freaking football. It was it was very fun to watch, and uh, and even when the when the Saints were moving the ball a little bit, it it, uh, it didn't really seem as scary. I was I was you know a little bit fearful for the for the streak, which actually makes preseason football more fun, in my opinion. Yeah, I I looked at the uh, Vegas line before the game and I saw that it was mm-hmm. Ravens minus one, Ravens minus one and a half. And I was like, do they do they watch the Ravens in the preseason? <laughs> do they do they not know how, how deep they are compared to other teams and the fact that they are always going to pull it out in the second half? Um, but I guess they knew a little bit of something about the Ravens offense that I didn't. But um, I think that you know the defense, like you said, came through in the end. You have starters on some teams that are basically the Ravens third stringers. So that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of play they're going to get against you know other offensive teams backups of backups so yeah i think i think the rotational play the ravens use also helps them a lot uh on the you know defensive line at an outside linebacker where they're not playing a a, a set of players for a slug of series where they play every down and then they leave they're they're, you know the very rotational team normally and i think it helps in the in the preseason as well when it's you know that much hotter yeah, for sure. I mean, did you see the comments from Yannick Ngakwe about how he never got a good uh, feel for the pass rush because he was always uh-huh. being rotated out? Of the, um, I find that amusing because you know, there might be some truth to that. You don't really get to set up the kind of sequence of pass rush moves, but, you know, I think that's just an excuse that he's making for not, for not really making the impact that he wanted to when he got here. I find it fairly ridiculous. Yes, we took you out when your weakness would have been a problem, and we put you back in to accentuate your strength. What defensive player wouldn't want that? I mean, seriously. I understand Charles Suggs probably wanting to play every down, or Ray Lewis wanting to play every down, but Yannick Ngakwe, I mean, know, your, know who you are you know, in this league. Whatever. Let's talk position groups here. Let's talk about the defensive line to start with. The, the Monstars all sat in this one. So uh, Justin Matabike, Broderick Washington, 
And who else am I thinking of? Well, they were both announced as starters uh, for the game, which was which was kind of neat. Matt Ike, BK, first man out of the tunnel. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those players that I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing in their second year. Um, he had a some really flashes in, in, in the first year as a rookie. He had some injuries early on, but um, I think he's a player that a lot of people are excited about, and I think he's he may not even be a starter, like you said. He's not one of the monsters, but he's going to be probably maybe leading the team in defensive line snaps. I could see that happening for sure. I, I certainly could with, with injuries as well. I mean, they lean very heavily on who Wolf is, but uh, you know, being a three-tech, there's a good chance he, he piles up a ton of snaps. Um, Matabike uh, flat Flashed very brightly in the period he was in. He was only in for, you know, 13, 14 snaps, uh, but he had a forced fumble. He was in the backfield a lot on running plays in particular. Uh, I just thought we've seen a lot of the things we hope to see in year two from him. He's been really a, a stud in camp, by the way. He's been just all over the field. Very few defensive linemen kind of really making the noticeable impact he is. But whether it's individual drills, you know, the, the positional drills, or, or whether he's in the 11-on-11s, he's one of the few defensive linemen who's really standing out. Yeah, and I'm just always impressed by the way he looks in pads. Like he kind of looks like a linebacker. You know, he's like he's built, he's compact, but he mm-hmm. he moves like a linebacker too. It's really impressive. He's just one of those guys that has a unique, explosive, quick first step. Um, I th- I think in a larger role, he can really shine in this defense for sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, certainly something I'm I'm definitely looking forward to. I, I thought the play of Crawford and Washington also both excellent. Both of them uh, played very well. Uh, Crawford uh, came in. I've got him in my notes at, at plus two on the grade, meaning I, th- I, th- I think he really greatly improved his chance to impact the, the 2021 Ravens. And uh, just play after play. Washington also, I felt like I was watching a new player from last year where he was uh, invisible for a number of plays, particularly during the regular season. Yeah, I think um, Washington in particular stood out to me. Um, There was one play where he kind of got completely washed out in in a in like a run fit where he just got like blown off six six yards off the line of scrimmage. It was a big like 20-something yard run. Um, but other than that, I thought he played really well. You know, he showed up a little bit against the pass. Um, I feel like he looks a little different than he did last year just in terms of his body. He looks like he, hmm. he's gotten a little stronger, uh, maybe c- trimmed down some of the, the, the weight a little bit. Um, but he looks like somebody who can be a rotational defensive lineman in the NFL, which is something I wasn't sure about after last year's play. Right. I mean, he's he, he probably was a little paunchy last year, but he's not big for a lineman. I mean, Matabike is really kind of kind of a smallish interior defensive lineman, but, you know, right around 293, 295. Broderick Washington was just a shade over 300, and he can't really afford to play at much lower weight than that, I don't believe. I think if, if he needs to be a, you know, a kind of a 1-3 guy as opposed to a, you know, a pure 3-guy, then I think he, he really needs to play with more weight. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes for him, certainly. This was an impressive effort. Um, Crawford uh, I had seven individual play notes on him, which is a ton for a defensive lineman in a game like this where he doesn't play all that many snaps. Now, Crawford might have played close to 30 snaps in this because he was playing from the beginning to the end of the game, basically. Um, but but that's still, he was consistently beating all of the defensive line, sorry, the offensive linemen that the Saints put in front of him. So it's going to be some guys I liked in the draft a couple of years ago, Clapp. Uh, was one of the center is a, is a guy he beat. He was a, a kind of a late round darling of mine that I, I hope they would pick up at center. 
Yeah, I was impressed by Crawford. You know, he's someone I noted um, last year when they took him in as an undrafted free agent. Um, I thought he had a potential like, landing spot on the team. Um, he, out of UNC, um, I thought he had good film in college. And he has this kind of like spark plug body. There's a little bit of like a Michael Pierce kind of vibe to him where he's short, stocky, but he has that ability to play with leverage that you really like to see out of your nose tackle. Um, I think he has a good chance of making this team, but it's going to probably come at the expense of someone like Justin Ellis, who is, yeah. a, is a vet who you, you kind of like. and you know, He's a locker room, locker room guy, so that's a, that's a tricky decision to make. Yeah, it's a difficult decision, but the Ravens are so old on the defensive line that they're going to have to make some of these tough decisions now, and next year, for financial reasons, they're probably going to part ways with, I would think, both Williams and Campbell. So, you know, you're, you're, you have to move a lot of, a lot of money into, into Jackson's contract, and to do that, you know, the defensive line is the place where they need to get younger because they're spending a ton of money there. Yeah, definitely true. And they're either going to have to, you know, hit it pretty hard in the draft or, you know, keep a couple of these young players and, and see what they can do in a, in a larger role. Kind of strange they didn't take anybody in this year's draft. You know, they had a chance uh, uh, to take Barmore with their first pick or their second, either one. And they didn't do it. Obviously, they didn't like him as much as I did. But, but it seemed like from a need perspective, that probably would have been a more reasonable pick. Yeah, they, I mean, they might have been looking a little bit at this coming season and, and seeing what, what was the role that he was going to play, especially with the three veterans they have up front and Matabike. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, if you have a toss-up kind of grade with him and someone like Owe, I think you see the positional need more at the outside linebacker. All right, all right. Fair enough. Anybody on the de- else on the defensive line you want to talk about before we move on? Uh, not for me. Let's roll on to outside linebacker then. A uh, couple guys sat, Houston and McPhee. Always, I think, a good thing when McPhee sits. Anytime it's not critical. And you know he wants to be out there and playing. Uh, Justin Houston, I'm not concerned about at all. He came to camp. He has started taking some 11-on-11 reps, which is nice. So it's not like he's not doing anything. There's not a problem here. Uh, But uh, Bowser, a short outing for him, and that's what I would expect from their what is now their star and highest paid outside linebacker. You don't want to take any chances with him. They certainly can't lose their Sam. And that left a lot of nice opportunity to be spread among five guys in this game. Who did you like best? So... I think um, Jalen Ferguson really was on the field the most, and he's the one who's shown the most. Um, you know, he looked good both in run defense. He, he had a number of pressure events that I looked at. Um, I don't think he actually got to the QB. Maybe he did one in the fourth quarter. I think yeah. he's the one who finished up that last clean one. Up sack. Yeah, yeah the cleanup sack. Um, but, but, you know, he was active, and, and he, he had a nice play, um, kind of sniffing out a screen pass where he was there to help out on that one. He seems like he's a little bit more limber than what I saw last year. Um, he's a little more athletic, um, and I think that's you know, to his benefit. Um, so I, I, I liked watching him. Um, I think Owe and Hayes both had, you know, some impressive moments as well. So it's good to see the rookies out there. I want to go back to Ferguson for a second, because that was his best game as a Raven, in my opinion. I, I, I use a three-second pressure standard, which means he needs to basically get into the cone where the, where the quarterback's feet are impacted, meaning the quarterback cannot step into a throw to the intended receiver because because he's in the cone. If that happens within three seconds, it's a pressure, as I call it. I know PFF uses a two-and-a-half-second standard. You'll see other people use different standards and, and also different distances they have to get into. I had Ferguson for nine pressure events in this game, which is that's an, that's an absurdly high number. Uh, Matabike had five in a game last year. That was exciting. Even an outside linebacker to, to get up into the 
high single digits is extremely rare. Um, JJ Watt probably does it, you know, relatively frequently, but there just haven't been a lot of Ravens uh, guys who've done it. Just the way they they rotate through snaps and they rotate through who's dropping a coverage and whatnot. Ferguson, outstanding game, and it came right at the right time uh, to, to I think force the Ravens' hand on keeping six outside linebackers this year because there's no one else they can cut in the group. Yeah, I think he really is is making a claim for that final spot and, and to have that sixth spot as, as something on the, kept on the roster. And, you know, he was interesting in this game because I think he was out there for the first snap and maybe the last snap of the game. Like, he, he literally mm-hmm. played the entire game. That, oh, yeah. There weren't many players on the roster who did that. He was one of the few that I think that the coaches really want to see what he can do because um, there is a little bit of a question there still, but I think he showed out well. If, if this were the last preseason game, that would have been a bad thing, yeah. you know, in, in normal years. And we saw Willie Henry play snaps at the end of one preseason game, and he kind of knew that was the end. But with, with Ferguson, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think, it's, I think it's a good thing. And they had other guys, you know, that, that, that played well as well. I thought Chris Smith in particular played very well. Uh, he made a number of impact plays. And he's, he's more of a tweener guy like Ward who can play kick inside and play there and be on the outside. I think Ferguson, if asked to do that, will do that again this year. I don't know if he'll be quite as effective as he is on the outside. Yeah, you brought up Chris Smith, and I agree. I thought he looked pretty good in limited kind of situational pass rush um, mm-hmm. snaps. Um, he, I think he played a little bit inside. They kicked him in on a few pass pass rushes that I saw. Um, and you know, when they signed him, I kind of like kind of didn't really consider it as anything more than like a camp kind of depth signing. But you know, he does have a little bit of juice in his pass rush. Um, it's going to be hard for him to make this roster, but you know, if God forbid an, an injury crops up, he might be someone that's that's useful to have. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, he's a veteran. He's been around for a little while now. And I, I don't honestly know which year he's in. But if, if you put him on the practice squad, there's a pretty darn good chance he gets pilfered. And all of these, you know, you're, you're kind of working on a, a, a grenade with a fuse or whatever you want to call it when you put a guy like that on the practice squad. They might not get taken in the first couple of weeks, but as injuries mount, and you know we see that at a lot of positions, I think with defensive line, with some cornerbacks the Ravens could put there, that you, you're going to eventually lose these guys as the depth starts to thin in the NFL uh, week by week. So um, let's get, let's get back to Odafe Owe Odafe Owe Odafe Owe. Yep. Odafe Owe. Okay, I'll get to that next time. Um, because I, I was intrigued in how he was used in this game because you know he was mostly out there on, on passing downs, mm-hmm. um, but they dropped him to coverage a number of times, which is something that I was hoping that would be seen with him because he has that athleticism to do it you know he was running the seam on a couple of plays um he kind of looked out of place in terms of like he didn't really know what was going on around him but he had the speed to keep up with the wide receiver which is pretty impressive so i think maybe a little bit more fine-tuning a little bit more you know getting used to that role i think he could definitely be an asset um similar to what uh, tyus bowser can offer as a player who can you know both rush the passer and drop into coverage yeah that's exactly right and and i i think they drafted away hoping he could be have the sam linebacker skill set whether or not they actually use him on the on the strong side he can have the sam linebacker skill set so they maintain all their pass rush flexibility in addition to hopefully being a pass rush asset so they're trying to kind of we thought eye dropper his responsibilities in as a situational rusher and then also you know you, you, I think he, he might have dropped three times to cover in this game including one time where he covered Ty Montgomery you know he's ex-Raven pretty fast guy but certainly not a 
probably he's probably not a four or five guy anymore. I, I wouldn't think after you know a few years in the league. Um, but Owe, you know, has the speed to cover him man to man and and unfortunately he lost him on the play it was so you know it's one of these cases where there, there's there's a learning curve here but Owe was in a position where where he'd have been a guy who absolutely could cover somebody like Ty Montgomery you know coming off the line of scrimmage uh, whether he's he's you know, just wide in the slot or wherever that might be yeah and, and that skill set is pretty rare in the NFL I mean I think Bowser is probably one of the most athletic probably outside linebackers in the league and and he does really well in that role and i think if you have two players who can do that even better yeah absolutely i mean they really had that with judon and and it's what made martindale's defense so dangerous last year in terms of of how they bring the blitz from everywhere um really loved what we saw in some of those ways but let's talk about dalen hayes for a second because he's a guy job is entirely safe obviously he's a you know first of all he's a, a draft pick and they almost never cut a draft pick but more than that he's a sam linebacker who will be very effective there i think and has some of those covered skills already baked in some of the grown man strength at age 23 that other players don't always have so um i, I thought he was very impressive in this game as well definitely did some positive things yeah, I, th- I thought he had a good all-around game. He had, you know, one pass rush that really stood out to me where he kind of, I think he took on a block and then dipped below an, an offensive tackle and got the immediate pressure. It was one where Winston kind of threw it away and probably should have been called for uh, intentional grounding, it looked yep. like, um, or, or maybe he was down too. But, um, you know, that was, a, that was a nice rush. And he didn't quite get home. He didn't quite finish it. But, you know, that's an impressive skill that, that I didn't know he had in, in his arsenal. But, you know, that if he can bring that as well, that, that's something that is going to get him, keep him on the field, I would think. Right, I agree. The, the team wants to use Tyus Bowser, I believe, more in obvious passing situations and try and avoid his use in on running downs, which means Hayes got to be the guy there. And to do that, he really needs to learn to contain that edge better than he did on Saturday. It's really the only, only quibble I have about him is that he let a couple, he lost the edge a couple times for runs of 17 and five. Um, I, I thought other than that, he, he was, he was very good. Um, one of the, one of the ones, the early might've been the touchdown run for 17, I'm thinking that might have been 18. But anyway, there's a 17-yard run to the left that, that uh, he, he kind of lost the edge on. And other than that, I really thought he was very good. I was thinking that was uh, Adoye who was on, in on that play, but I might be wrong about that. Um, but regardless, I mean, we could talk about him too. I, yeah. I wasn't very impressed by him. I think he's kind of the, um, you know, the odd man out, clearly. Maybe a practice squad candidate, but... He's kind of just a body on the field at this point, from what I can tell. Yeah, it was a shame. Um, there, uh, it was Tony Jones had the 18-yard TD. That's right. And he and I, I'm just looking at my own article here. Adoye lost the edge to Adam Troutman, a tight end. So that's not a guy you want to – you don't want to lose the edge to a tight end, generally speaking, when you're an outside linebacker. That's usually a bad thing. Um, but but if you if you lose it to an offensive tackle, at least you got some excuse you're living with. But uh, uh, Adoye made some hustle plays downfield. He, he was the one who made the tackle on Jawan Johnson on the 38-yard pickup, which I like to see. But uh, it doesn't really make up for not being able to hold your spot in the line of scrimmage, not being able to rush the passer effectively. That's those are the things which are going to make him make this team. Not running after the running after a play, making a tackle, which is still good, or recovering a fumble downfield as he as he also did. Yeah, and you know, 
you know, he's doing what he can, I think, but he doesn't necessarily have the, like those physical gifts that you would you would look for as someone who's kind of like the like the back end of the roster kind of upside guy. He's just he's just there. You can you know fill a role if needed, but uh, maybe he can be something on special teams if if you know the injuries start to mount up. But I'm I'm not sure he has much of a role on on the field in the in the regular season. Yeah, I would agree. Probably not. And we'll we'll see if he if there's a spot for him on the practice squad. I think it depends on how some other things shake out. But but there probably is. He'd probably be the first outside linebacker there. Let's go to inside linebacker, where the Ravens all of a sudden really have some depth. Um, you know, so there's some questions as to whether four or three is the appropriate number of out, of inside linebackers to carry. Uh, but Patrick Queen, of course, coming off a, a fairly tough rookie year, uh, seems to have made some pretty big strides. I was very impressed with him on Saturday. Yeah, th- this is um, the position group that I was actually most interested in, in looking at in this game. And, you know, I think a lot of that is because of, you know, the issues we saw last year, especially with Patrick Queen. And I wanted to see, you know, have there been those adjustments that have been made? Is the game slowing down for him? Is he kind of processing faster than he was last year and we didn't get a whole lot of snaps in this game but i think in the snaps that we did see we definitely saw that happen um you know he was able to diagnose and he was able to just be there when he needed to be i i I think i even saw an evolution within the game i thought because he allowed a six-yard pass uh just a swing left where he was late to uh, pick up his own responsibility there. So one of the one of the big things I like to see from inside linebackers is that they anticipate that running back's movement. Don't get caught up in their read step, trying to follow the play too much, but but get out to the outside when it's appropriate to do that. And you know he the first time around he didn't do it. His his speed tracked down the play for a six yard gain, but it wasn't really a good play for him. It was a he was behind the effort. The next time around, screen passes set up. He got the recognition going. Not only did he do that, he knifed through the three um, offensive linemen who were out there. I'm not saying the gap was tiny or anything, but but he he uh, quickly negotiated traffic there and took the guy down for a two or three yard loss. So impressive play on that one. Yeah, and I think um, you know he also had that the nice sack where he, he initially got picked up by the blitz and then came off the the blocker and it was able to get after the quarterback and bring him down in a nice open field tackle. So I think that, you know, the skill set that I saw out of him when he was playing at LSU, I'm starting to see that translate. And, you know, it is something that it's only a one preseason game, only a couple of drives, but that just that ability to process a little bit faster makes all the difference in the NFL. Because if you're just a half step late, you know, you're going to have that guy get open for the coverage. Um, and that, that's something that I think he can improve on. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, the one thing we haven't seen, I mean, I'm loving the fact that we're seeing downhill coverage skills because they're very important for an inside linebacker. The responsibility is typically a running back who's leaving the backfield and they need to be good at that. I, I still want to see route recognition skills on plays behind him. And you know that's 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 going to be that next level for Patrick Queen. And when he does become a star, it'll because it'll be because he's figured that out. Not not I don't think he can really get there without it. I think he'll he'll be exposed too often in coverage and and probably be you know a liability that the Ravens have to still get off the field until he can really figure that out pretty well. It was a big step for Mosley when he did. Mosley was good before he did that, but Mosley's second year he really figured a lot of that stuff out and and, and really became great. 
And I think a lot of that comes from film study and just having the experience and, and seeing the route combinations and understanding the down and the distance and just like just having a better feel for the game and, and not having to think about it, but having it come naturally. And that's something that I think partially just comes with time, but you have to put in the effort. And hopefully that, you know, everything I've heard about him is he's someone who's working really hard. It seems like he's working really hard out there. So I, I think he has a chance to really become a really outstanding player for the Ravens. Did you want to talk about Malik Harrison as well? I'll let you introduce this. Yeah, so, I mean, Harrison, obviously, also going into his second year, I had high expectations for him in, in this season because I thought he actually played really well as a rookie in a more limited role. Um, more of a, you know, early down run defender. Um, and I think he showed that in this in this game. He was in on a couple of big tackles. I think he was, if he didn't force the fumble, the first fumble, he was right there standing the mm -hmm. guy up. Um, you know, he just has that natural ability um, to fill um, you know, take on an offensive lineman if he needs to. He can shed tackle, um, shed offensive lineman. He can, you know, make the tackle. He's very physical. He is, you know, pretty athletic, I think, as well. And, and he's someone that can step into more of a three-down role, I think, in this upcoming season um, if he needs to. And, and it's going to be an interesting question to see how, how the Ravens and, and, and Wink, you know, uses these linebackers. But he has the skill set, I think, to be, you know, someone who's on the field a lot more than he was last year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, in a lot of ways, he makes more sense at the mic than Queen does. But it's, you know, that's not how they drafted them. They drafted them in the opposite order. So they kind of have to deal with the Queen being the, uh, you know, the athlete, the guy they're paying the money to. And, and they really want to get him on the field more. But Malik would make more sense as a as a two-down Mike linebacker, that would give him more total snaps. Uh, the green dot's not there, so there's actually no restriction on on doing that. Um, but but it would it would mean Queen really kind of has to learn two roles: a Mike for third down and a, and a weak side linebacker for the for the you know first two downs. So uh, it's interesting. They've I I, I don't really know how it's going to play out with Malik Harrison, but maybe they will find a third down role for him. Wink loves pass rush versatility, and if he if he can find some way that he's good on some third down coverage element, then I. Think think he plays if he can't then I think he's probably off the field for those downs I think it's really probably that simple um, great play on Broderick Washington's strip to it's all it's pure Ravens to have the first guy stand the stand the runner up and the second guy strip the football that's just that's exactly the way they teach it and, and I think it was Broderick who knocked the ball loose it might have been Harrison already working the ball free uh, as he stood him up yeah, you know, either way, whoever got the hand in there, it was it was a fantastic play. And then, and you know, the Ravens, of course, I think they picked up all the fumbles that that were knocked free in this yeah. game. So that's not always going to happen, but it worked out in this one. So um, I think, yeah, I think he had a good, you know, um, good showing in this game. And I'm excited to see you know him and, and Queen kind of developing together at the, as that inside linebacker duo. Yeah, is there a man out on this? Is is Fort's position in jeopardy from what's going on here? I don't think his position is in jeopardy. Um, he, I mean, we talked about Fort before in the past. I'm, I like him a lot. I think he's a good leader. I think he has good coverage chops, um, especially in, in zone. I think um, he can. He, he knows where to be on the field, um, and that's something that I think he can kind of help. You know, mentor the younger linebackers in. Um, he's a, he's a good veteran. He's a good special teamer. Um, so I don't think his role is at risk at all. And and you know, I could be wrong about that, but. I think he's definitely someone that, at the very least, is, is good depth and someone you can bring in on, on passing downs and um, in, in different packages. 
Yeah, I, I, the, when they picked him up, obviously, the, the acquisition of him and Bynes complete, were, was a big part of turning that defense around. Just saying, hey, we can't live with the inside linebackers we have. Young and Owasso have to take lesser roles, and they pick up Fortin Bynes, and all of a sudden the 2019 Ravens really started to turn it around defensively. I think Fort um, is a guy, and, and probably the only one of the four they have now, including Chris Board, who we can talk about in a second, who really can handle the coverage responsibilities that the Ravens want. You know, good game for him. Sack and a half on, on Saturday against the Saints. Uh, uh, I, I pretty much take all positives from it, other than, hey, a lot of other players are playing good around him, which I guess is always a good problem to have. Yeah, and I mean, we can move on to board now if you want to, because, you know, he's someone that the Ravens brought in um, on his, this is his fourth year. They, they signed him to that one-year fully guaranteed contract. Um, he, he's definitely someone they used a lot last year, um, and I'm not sure if that's someone, if that's going to be the case again. Um, he didn't really show me much in this game. Um, he doesn't seem to have a great feel in coverage, which is where he was used primarily last year when he was on the field. Um, so, you know he, you know he has some athleticism, but I don't know. I just feel like he doesn't get good depth in his drops. Um, he he made like one or two plays in this one, but for the most part, he just seemed like he was out of position to me. I, I I'm just haven't been too impressed with him. Yeah, it's this game was not the problem for me. I mean, I th- I thought he was okay uh, in this game. He recovered a fumble. He had a, a nice play on a on a um, uh, filling a gap. It's kind of a clean-up play, honestly. Did lose the edge once. You know, it's not like everything was perfect in this game, but that's not the. It's really not the general problem. The general problem for for board, I think, is going to be that he doesn't really understand what's going on in the game behind him. At least I haven't seen improvement in that area yet. And the Ravens have now made it very clear from both their off-season personnel decisions and more importantly now what Wink did on Saturday night that they're looking for a dime back. And every third and four or more, they put the dime defense on the field. Now, in past years, how does that differ? Well, Wink didn't always do that. Wink would play two dime snaps in the first half because he didn't really want to show his hand too much on what he was doing during the regular season. Um, it's, it's the kind of thing that I think that happened in 2019, by the way. Game that played against the Eagles and they won big. They played like two dime snaps in the first half, then he took it off the field, and then they end up playing at, you know, 42% for the season. <laughs> so you know he's really, really hiding something. This year I think it's pretty clear they're not gonna they're not gonna fly with board on third down. They're gonna find that dime back again. And they have a lot of good choices now after this game. Yeah, I mean, we can move right into the safeties because I think this is the this is the position that group that really shined in this game. Um, I mean I you know, Clark and Elliott, they weren't out there very long, but Elliott made two, I thought, two good plays. Um, he came in on a blitz, and he got to the quarterback. Of the, I mean, it was completed for, a, a you know, downfield, but he was right there. Um, I think he came in. He was the guy who picked up that first fumble. You know, he, he I thought he was had a return, but maybe he was down. Um, but, you know, he shot out really well. I mean, I don't think Chuck Clark really made any – thing that showed up to me either good or bad but um after they came off the field then we saw you know brandon stevens he was in there early he was like that dime back you were talking about early on so i think they see that role for him as someone who can really come in and, and be um maybe not a you know a starter but he can be someone who has an immediate role and then you know we can talk about the other ones in more detail because they had much more impactful plays right i mean uh, let's talk about stevens though that you're on him now what i was impressed by is they use stevens everywhere yep. even on the first drive when clark and elliot were in they used stevens at slot corner 
and then they used him as a as a dime back, as you mentioned. I mean, it's, it was it was uh, pretty cool. Actually, they were still using Tavon. It must have been a dime. He just was covering a receiver in the slot when they had a slot on either side. He played a lot of slot corner in this game. And I love that versatility that they're trying to maintain with him. Uh, I did not, I do not recall um, a Ravens player who's really been a combined safety and slot corner for a while. Kind of Lardarius Webb did it year to year, but I'm trying to remember a, a, a player from the past who. Not outside, inside. We've seen that. We've seen outside and slot corners. But a guy who played safety and slot corner. So the Ravens have never had, like, Teron Matthew or other players like that. that Brandon Carr kind of did it in 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got a good one there. That's a good one. So he really shifted from one position yeah. to the other when it was needed. Yeah, but that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what they saw with him when they, you know, drafted him in the third round, which, you know, obviously was surprising to many of us, but, um, clearly they liked his skill set. He has that outside corner, you know, experience playing in college, but they, they also moved him around when in college, he played some oh, spot, yeah. he played some, you know, you know, free safety, he played some in the box. So he clearly has that skill set. And I think, you know, the Ravens are utilizing it. Yeah, down-by-down down changes for him at SMU. In fact, it's very hard to follow him on the field on some of the grainy kind of tape that's out there. You have to actually look for his bright red shoes if you go back and watch the, watch the game. But he would move around slot corner, outside corner, safety on a by-down basis. SMU, very complex defense. I don't think it actually did Brandon Stevens any favors, but it may have been the kind of change that actually made him available to the Ravens in, in uh, well, in round three where they took him kind of early or even maybe later it would have been available. Yeah, and in this game, he did the things that Ravens defensive backs do. He, he blitzed off the edge. You know, he was there in run defense. He was covering players, like you said, in the slot. That versatility is really going to keep him on the field, I think. And, and he has the athleticism. He has the ability to, you know, play as a cornerback. And I think that's really going to be beneficial to him and the Ravens. Yeah, shared a piece of a sack as well. So, you know, he had a little, he had a little bit of everything. That, that sack, by the way, that was a crushing three-man hit. That was like a Burt Jones' loss for the season kind of hit. Uh, that you see, where where you know three guys hit him at once. It's a uh, it was it was scary on Wednesday. I was surprised he got up from that. Uh, Richards is a guy who probably is on the bubble now. I did not think played particularly well. Certainly didn't play very well at safety, and then on special teams he had kind of a big penalty. Uh, actually, it wasn't on special teams. It was on defense. He had a penalty on the on the run back, right? On the yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, he was the one who got flagged for the the. The uh, fifteen back. yarder, yeah, crack back yeah. block. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Richards, they brought him back on the one year deal. I, I'm not sure how much of it was guaranteed. I don't think it was a fully guaranteed like board got. So, you know, he's someone that they want to have just as a special teamer. I think maybe he could have been, you know, reserve safety if needed. But now that you're seeing some of these younger players come in and be a player who might offer a little bit more on the defensive side of the field, it's going to be hard, hard to see, you know, Richards on this final 53. In my opinion, right. I I agree, and I think I think he's at a point where no, there's not room for any defender. I don't really believe to just or sorry for any player to just be a special teams player. And if you do that with a safety, I mean, you're really clogging up the team in a sense because you expect to get some defensive value or some offensive value from every single special teamer you have. In fact, I'd say because I think kick returns have become kind of a smaller percentage of the game, particularly punt returns. Um, you just your coverage units are just not as critical as they once were. So you you want to 
you want to pick up a way to, to get defensive value from those same players. And Albert McClellan, Anthony Levine, in their in their heyday, they gave you that. And I just don't think Jordan Richards, um, you know, is really is really capable of that right now. Yeah, and it kind of brings up the question of Anthony Levine, and, and does he still have a role on this team? And I know he's you know a well-respected locker room leader, you know, co-cap and and all of that, mm-hmm. but you know he just doesn't look like he's someone who can play defense for the Ravens anymore. He, he he's not that dime safety or dime linebacker that he used to be. He can't really be a, a deep uh, safety or like even like a split safety. I, I'm just I'm just not sure outside of his his leadership, um, and I guess he's. Th- he can still play on special teams, but it, it's this is a really loaded defensive roster um, that the Ravens have right now, and, and there's some young guys who are knocking on the door, and it's going to be hard to kind of make that decision, I think. Yeah, they have they have you know Stone, Washington, and Westry all looking there, uh, and you could throw Wade in there too, although I think he's pretty much guaranteed a spot as defensive backs who can contribute all I think can contribute something on special teams and can contribute a fair amount on defense, particularly if if a true emergency arises. I thought it was interesting how they used Levine in this game because it was not to his normal skill set. Now, Levine in his career has been very versatile for the Ravens. He's played all over. He's actually played outside corner, slot corner, big nickel, dime back, and even on the back end on an emergency basis. In this game, four series on the back end, he's a fish out of water at this point back there. He really doesn't belong back there. I think the roles, the, the two roles that he could still play at his age are to be big nickel against some 12 personnel teams. I think he can do that. And I think also he, he can play dime back quite possibly, but I'm not sure he'd be the team's first choice to do that. I think, you know, he's the guy you want as a second choice. Now, given all these other good second choices, whether it's Stone or Washington or whoever that might be able to come in. Washington's a real, a real nice thing. I want to get, get to him in a while, but... You know, do you see no course in which Levine makes this team, or do you see a, you know, a injuries kind of thin us a little bit? Levine is cut maybe uh, on August thirty first, and then re-signed on September second, or once they sneak a few guys onto IR. So I, I think if he does make the team, it, it's in that situation where he's where he's let go to to have some couple of players on the on the final roster that are then put on IR. Um, I. You know, if it was up to me, I mean, I, I don't understand. I don't know the locker room dynamics. I don't know like how much of a personality he is and how much that weighs in the, in the decision making here. Because I think those things do matter. But from just from a football perspective, I would not have him on on the on the fifty three man roster just because I don't think he offers enough and the upside that some of these other players do. And I think that, you know, guys like Washington and Stone, if you put them on the practice squad, they, they'll be snapped up, I think. And I th- yeah. that's, that would be a shame because the Ravens have done a good job of finding them. They brought them in. You know, I think Washington was one of the big UDFAs that they brought in. Um, and, you know, he's someone that you probably want to keep around. And if the, that's the decision-making for a four-year player, potentially, that can make, you know, a lot of you know, potential future, you know, help in that secondary, then you really have to consider that heavily. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the four-year declining option is that they're at its greatest value right now for players like that. And Levine, it's a year-to-year deal where he gives you, you get a little bit of break signing him for the vet minimum, but the vet minimum is still considerably more than the rookie minimum. And, you know, with with a rookie, obviously you get you get all that upside and you own it for four years. So um, that's a, it's a, it's a value that I'm always very hesitant to give up, and it's really the reason why any veteran and every four, any fourth-year player, for that matter, really starts squarely on the bubble when they come to camp. 
Uh, you know, even incredibly, Anthony Averett was talked about as being a guy who was on the bubble coming to this camp. Yeah, you know, that's surprising to me. But like you said, it's just because of the roster status. And you know, he's someone that I think the Ravens could probably trade if, if they needed to, yes. you know, to open up a, ro- a roster spot because he does have value. I'm sure there's someone out there and there's a lot of teams who need cornerback depth. And then maybe that's something that could still happen for the Ravens. I kind of think it'll be a shame to lose him. But if you can, you know, get, you know, like a mid round pick for him, that's a choice that you'd probably have to make. Yeah, I think I think that's that's what I would want. I'd, I'd want about a four for Averitt if he was traded. He provides an awful lot of security to this secondary being the fourth guy up. Uh, and he might be the third, you know, the first guy up, rather. Uh, he might be the second guy up if Jimmy Smith came back. But it's still, that's a lot of security built in with Anthony Averitt. He's a, he's a very good cornerback. I thought, by the way, in this, uh, let's, we'll get back to Averitt in just a second because I want to make sure we hit on Geno Stone. Yeah. And Amon Marshall was the other guy. Didn't play in this game. He's played safety at camp a fair amount. This would have been a great opportunity for live fire. I would have loved to see him on the back end earlier when Levine was out there instead, I, I don't think you need to give Levine those back-end snaps. I think Iman Marshall and really seeing what he could do back there in year three would have been a good way to try and figure out where he is and if he potentially has a role. Yeah, I mean, Marshall, is it's really tough for him. He, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, he he kind of has that nice you know, size. He, I think safety was something I, I thought might be a good transition for him because of that. Um, he could probably kind of do that same thing that Brandon Stevens is doing now in terms of being able to play, you know, nickelback, play some dimeback, play some, play some, um, you know, split safety. Um, but you know, without actually seeing him on the field, it's, it's going to be really hard to keep him on the team. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, the sad thing is injuries come in year three and year four. It's just disastrous for players. I mean, it really has a big impact on their on their career earnings. Let's talk Geno Stone. He's in his second year. Uh, still lots of upside to be gained. I thought I was extremely pleased when the Ravens got him back over the offseason. And to see him, you know, get two picks in, in week one. There's a common characteristic. And I want to see if you, if you really you know, picked up on the same thing here. But there's a characteristic that both those interceptions have that I just absolutely love. And it's a ball hawk's characteristic. But... What did you say? Well, I mean, he just knows where to, where the play is going and to be in the right place if that play like doesn't work out. Like if because he was right there in right there to clean up both both plays, but the overthrow on the first interception and the second interception, the ball that got deflected up in the air, um, he was ready there to make a play if need be if the ball is completed and if not completed, he was there to you know come down with the interception. So that that's definitely what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's anticipating the overthrow. And we saw it from Reed for years. He would always maintain... What the, the key is to maintain a proper depth from the underneath c- coverage and the receiver. So you still show the bracket. The, un- the, the underneath guy is depending upon you, and he knows that. You know that that he can and he can he can make a play on the ball, and then by having that additional distance, you get a better chance for a tip ball to be collected, as one of Stone's interception was, or you get a better chance to react to an overthrow that's off target, as the other one was. Yep. So it's a beautiful set of, of of interceptions there, and as much as I love Deshaun Elliott. He doesn't have that same natural ball hawk skill. And the reason is that he is a natural closer on the target. So he wants to have a bracket that's like, you know, two yards from, from the receiver and, and the underneath guy's two yards in front. And they're both going to mug him when the ball gets there. Well, OK, I mean, that's that's good for, for causing incompletions, but it's less good for getting interceptions. 
Yeah, El- Elliot definitely has more of that violent intent in the way he closes. <laughs> um, like that. <laughs> and he he wants to make contact. And he wants to separate the ball from the from the receiver. That's that's what his goal is in those situations. Um, and, and Stone, you know, I thought the ball seals were really impressive, especially on that first interception. Um, you know, he kind of did the thing where he turns his body so that he doesn't looks like he doesn't trap it you know he makes sure he gets the hands underneath of it and there, there's less of a chance for it to get dislodged i mean that's something i saw ed reed do how many times like he, mm-hmm. he had the exact same way of kind of contorting his body as he was like catching the ball off basically off the ground um and that's that's a skill that doesn't necessarily come naturally to some players and and Gino stone he has that you know i really liked what i saw from him when i watched him in college obviously last year he was kind of slow to pick up the game um but I think another year with the team, he clearly is taking strides. He looks more natural out there. You know, he had another nice play and coverage where he came and and, made, and closed in on a, on a pass out to the flat. Um, you know, there, there was one play where I think he kind of took a bad angle. But, you know, aside from that, I think he, he was really making a lot of plays all over the field. Right. I, the, 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 the hit, the dislodging hit that he had by that right sideline was a thing of beauty as well. And, you know, frankly... Ed Reed had the same, you know, some of the same issues here. And I'm not trying to make Geno Stone into Ed Reed, but uh, Ed Reed missed some tackles and we put up with it in exchange for the interception. Ed Reed would occasionally gamble, but you know what? Marcus Peters is, is similar in that way. If you, if, as long as you win more than you lost, lose in terms of expected points, expected value, that's fine by me. You, you, you take all the gambles you, you feel are appropriate. And I think with Geno Stone, we're going to see a little bit of a gambler as a player. And it's, it's kind of natural when, when somebody creates that kind of separation naturally and they're looking for opportunity that, that you're going to create that. And he'll become, I think, more situationally aware when it's appropriate to do that as he, as he uh, uh, you know, matures in the NFL, is around for a few years. But, uh, but I really loved what I saw on, on Saturday night. Just, just it... It reminded me of what good free safeties really do looking for the ball. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I don't want to take too much away from, from one game. And, you know, there's there's still some training camp. There's still two more preseason games. And and there's still some decisions that are going to have to be made. But for me, it's really hard for, for them to see him, see his play, see his improvement, and not have him on, on the roster. So, you know, they obviously went back and brought him back to the, to the team after letting him go last year. So there's something that they saw on him. Um, I, I'm hopeful that he's someone who's going to be, you know, one of those final players that makes the cut. Yeah. Yeah, can't wait. And if they if they do get him, and he's the guy they decide is the is the dime back or the extra dime safety instead of Stevens, then I think they put him on the back end, and you bring Clark up into the box, which is a very natural spot for him. By the way, yeah, it's completely natural for him to play that dime back role. It's just we don't really want him up there because the, you know there's a little bit of extra uh, physical demand on that position, and and hey, you need him on the back end too. But uh, but boy, he's a completely natural spot for him. Let's go to let's move on to cornerback here. Uh, lots of good things happening at cornerback. Who would you like to start with? Um, you know, we already talked a little bit about Anthony Averett, so let's finish up with that. Um, you know, he he came in pretty quickly as that you know as soon as the starters went off the field, he was the next man up. Um, he was in position throughout the entire game. You know, he had tight coverage. He had that one almost interception where he made a nice break on the ball. Um, he was clearly upset with himself. He thought he was going to have it. Um, you know, he did let up a couple of, you know, 
you know completions including the touchdown but you know he was right there you know it was yes. it was kind of a he was going up against a receiver I think he had probably six inches on him and it was just the, the ball was placed at a position where he couldn't get it so I, I don't give him too much of, of you know a problem for that one so you know he's someone and we've already talked about his value to the Ravens I think he's obviously you know someone that can come in if there's an injury and kind of you know not have a huge drop off and we saw that last year I think he has tremendous value in this final year of his contract I would have liked the Ravens to extend him if possible it's probably too late for that to happen but um, you know I think he's someone that the Ravens have obviously been high on they developed him into a player who's at a basically a starting caliber in my opinion right I, I agree and and I, I wish it wasn't too late to, to do it and if they could sign him for you know three years six or seven million dollars I would think that would be a reasonable divisible benefit you know for for his security you know risk of getting injured this year obviously is always prevalent for any fourth year player uh, the risk of just not being there being a market if he has kind of a little bit of a down year. I mean, it doesn't take much to really get him playing next year for the vet minimum again. So if you offer him three years at six or seven million, I mean, I think that would be fairly. I think I think he would do it. Um, I think I think it would be a good divisible benefit for both. That if he ends up being a pro bowler, he regrets the decision. But uh, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to say is is that I completely agree with your assessment of he allowed three receptions. I think one was a TD, but two of the three were extremely tight coverage situations, and it, that's kind of like fumbles. Is that you know there, there, there's a lot of luck involved, and you know it, it just so happened he was really the first reception. He was really fighting the guy all the way down to get the ball out, and it looked like that was kind of bobbling it all the way down as well. And then of course the touchdown in the end zone was was just it was really close, and and. It's, he was in space with single coverage. It's the w- toughest possible situation to defend, and didn't quite get it done. But I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. That's my, my long way of, of saying that same thing. What did you think of Westry? You know, I thought Westry had a solid game. Um, I thought it was a little interesting that he came in ahead of Wade, who I thought you know would probably be the next man up. But um, maybe that's an indication that they want to see what he can do in in that type of situation against you know potential NFL caliber players with uh, NFL caliber quarterback throwing the ball. So I think that it's really kind of what can you do for me question with with Westry and I think he acquitted himself well you know he he had some nice plays um in coverage I think he was okay um kind of like with a couple opportunities in open field tackling um he was I mean I think he had a penalty maybe um that was is a really stupid taunting flag yeah that's right it was it was a taunting penalty um and you know, but I feel like overall, you know, he showed a lot of things that you want from, you know, a reserve corner. He's able to hang. Um, he's He has some kind of size that's good, but, yeah. I'm, I'm, his size is, is 6'4". I mean, he's, he's gargantuan for a cornerback, obviously. He really stands out in that regard. But I, I'm with you that I thought the most interesting thing about what happened was that he was the first in with Averett. It's been kind of a function of what's going on at camp. I think he's, he's played very well. He's been very impressive there. Uh, Wade less so. I would say in camp, uh, even though his, his spot is certainly in no jeopardy, um, I, th- I just think he's been a little bit less impressive. And, uh, you know, Westry ends up getting the call here first. And uh, uh, certainly it, it was an opportunity, and I don't, think he, I don't think he lost out too much. One thing I like, and maybe this is a growth for Harbaugh, not just for Westry, 
is that Westry went to the sideline for one play after the taunting penalty and was out of the game. Then they had a timeout for Welch's injury, I believe it was. And then after that, he was back in the game. So two things are possible there. Westry said all the right things, which like, I'm sorry, coach, that's unforgivable, you know, kind of thing. And, it's, and that's really all he needs to say. What you, don't, what you want to do is stop talking if you're the player there. Look the coach straight in the eye and admit you were wrong. That's, that, that's all they want, really want out of you. In the case, in the case of uh, uh, Harbaugh, I, I think it's a growth moment for him that he lets a player back on the field like that. There's not a penalty box situation and he doesn't have to be, you know, sit out the rest of this game or something because of it. Yeah, I think I think they really are high on him, um, and clearly, you know, coming in ahead of Wade, and it could also be that they think Wade is more of in that slot kind of role. That's where they want to see him play more. Um, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can carry Westry, just because he would probably be the seventh cornerback, right? Unless someone hits the hits the IR. Um, Smith will probably start on IR. So if you, if you sneak him through with yeah. him getting cut, then you could you could maybe bring on Westry as number six. Yeah, that's probably the, the, the best chance that he has of, of making the roster, I think. Um, I mean, clearly, if he doesn't make the roster, I think the Ravens would want to have him on the practice squad because I think he does have the ability to um, to, to be a, you know, a player that's on an NFL roster for sure. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I, I think we'd both agree. He's, he's snapped up in a second uh, based on, on what we've seen this, this preseason, but you know, what we've seen in camp and kind of, I know there's a, there's a little bit of knowledge between teams at least about what's going on at other teams camps and who's yeah. impressing just from the, the reporting they do. Um, I, I, I'm going to move on and talk about Wade a little bit. Uh, Wade had a similarly bad penalty, not in the same way because it's a defensive holding. So it's a normal kind of in the course of business penalty. You're going to have some of those, but it did allow a first down on a prohibitive distance situation that had been just shut down. Uh, so that was unfortunate. Uh, but he came back right away and made the big play that won the ball game. And Wade has that extraordinary length, some of which we didn't really see it needed on the interception, but you kind of saw it on display a little bit there, you know, being in, in front. Um, he just, his arms are about two, two and a half inches longer than any other cornerback out there. So when he's in tight man-to-man coverage, he can reach right into the body and mess you up pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, that was an impressive play. I mean, he, he tracked the ball well. He, he went up, he made the catch at the high point, and he, he landed um, maybe a slight bobble, but he came up with it. So, um, and, and that sealed the game. So, and, you know, that's a, that's a great way to finish off your first NFL game. Um, definitely, like you said, come back from the, from the bad penalty that, that erased a, a third down sack, I think. Um, so, you know, he, he was, I would have wanted to see maybe a little bit more of him, um, but I think that, you're probably right that he doesn't have any risk of not being on the roster just based on the draft capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's an interesting player. You know, I think the upside is is quite big, quite good for him. We've we've seen it. It's kind of the highs and lows from him in college, and maybe he's just going to be that kind of player. He's going to be, you know, a player who has you know really good moments um, at times, and maybe sometimes is, is going to have some issues. Yeah, the, the the additional point I want to make about Wade here is that. They played him on the outside the entire game here. They didn't move him into the slot at all. Darius Washington, in fact, Wade and Darius Washington were both playing the second half. Washington was playing exclusively in the slot, and Wade was playing exclusively outside. Wade's history in college at Ohio State was that he had a great year um, as, a, as a slot cornerback, was moved outside in 2020, and had a, had a pretty bad year. Uh, and the Ravens have continued, nonetheless, 
playing him out there. Now, when they drafted him, you know, immediate thought was, well, here's the heir apparent to Tavon Young. He's, he's, he's the guy. Tavon is obviously, he might be fighting for his, for his job this year, frankly, but if, if he'll be fighting for his job next year with his play this year, I think is the more likely outcome. And then we'll see. And, and I think, you know, given differential costs and whatnot, it's very likely that Wade is the guy they select going forward. But, uh, but it's very interesting to me that the Ravens are, are playing against that with players like Wade and also Westry, who has a background as a safety, you know, being, being used on the outside at corner. Yeah, that is that is interesting, and maybe it has more to do with what they want to see from Washington to see if he has that versatility to play in the slot, because um, he, he's a little undersized for the safety position. Um, but you know, I thought he played. No, I'm t- talking about Washington now. When when he was in college, he, he was a very good safety um, at, mm-hmm. at TCU, and he's someone that a lot of people had pretty high on their draft boards, and I think we're surprised that he went undrafted, most likely because of his size. Four sixty two. And size and the speed combination. Like when you when you're small and you're and you're not that fast, that's that's not a, a, a good fit um, in a, on a lot of teams. Yeah. But I think he clearly showed the playmaking ability that showed up both on film and college and in this game. You know, the he almost had two. Uh, he had almost a diving interception. Mm-hmm. He forced a fumble. Um, you know, he's someone who I think has a really good instinctual kind of feel for the game, um, especially on that near interception. You know, he made that break on that ball like he knew what was happening. Yeah. That, that's something that doesn't happen for every player. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Plays his reads, we would say in poker, but that's that's really it, it. That was a it was a good read. He made a move on the football right away. He knew what was going on. In, in Marcus Peters' case, I think he actually goes through the thought that um, if that's not a three step draft on an out route, then he can't possibly get five yards behind me before the defense gets home, before the pass rush gets home. So I'll take that risk, uh, kind of thing. Or at least he knows, you know, instinctually when to take that risk. And in, in uh, Washington's case, it'd be interesting to see if he becomes that kind of a gambler. The guy he reminds Reminds me of in the in from the Ravens past is Corey Ivy, you know, kind of an undersized guy, still muscular, uh, and and is able to do all the things you want out of a slot corner that are close to the line of scrimmage. You wouldn't want this guy trailing some fast receiver, you know, Hamler or somebody like that way up the seam, but but you're perfectly happy to have him rush the quarterback. You're perfectly happy to have him playing some run defense off the slot, including, you know, some some blitz opportunities there. You're 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 happy to have him play short area zone defense. Uh, and he can and he can do it very well. But the only thing, you know, it leaves one weakness and uh, in this game I thought the play that that might have put Washington in a hole was he really was very badly out of position on that four plus 35 swing pass to the right four plus 31 right it's 35 yard pass and uh that was really the play that didn't look good yeah i think he kind of got sucked in on the play action on that one and as soon as that happened he was out of place and and he wasn't he didn't have you know the ability the athleticism the speed to make a recovery and get there so that's that was definitely like a, a poor look for him but you know i think he made up for it to a certain extent with his play later on yeah, he he caused a recovery. I think he caused the fumble. He caused and, it, yeah. And uh, Adoye recovered it, right? Right. Uh, we talked a little about Stevens. Is that it? Are we down to, down to the end of the group here? Wade, Washington, Westry, Averett, Stevens. We already talked about, right? What 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 overarching thoughts do you have on the defense from this game? I mean, I I really like this defensive performance. Obviously, I think that a lot of players played really well. It's um, I, I was a little surprised at how much um, the Ravens kind of, or the Wink Martindale re- let it rip just in terms of the, the blitzing and, and the scheme things. It looked like he kind of had that 
you know regular season like vibe going with him he just wanted to go out there and and kind of show his cards like you mentioned earlier with a dime he played a lot of dime it's not something that maybe we were not expecting to see so much but um i think they just wanted to see how these players were going to to look and the kind of the scheme that they're going to be playing in in the regular season and i think they acquitted themselves well for the most part yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I thought that, that in particular, the pass rush scheme he used, he used some stunts, he used some blitzes from off ball. We saw we saw drops in the line of scrimmage, including Adafo Ewe, Dalen Hayes dropping a cover on a little bit, uh, you know, a few snaps each. And that's that's what they should expect to have to do. And, you know, it's it's almost more important, not that you don't, not that you hide your scheme, but that you actually try and find out whether or not your outside linebackers can actually cover. I don't think you get good live fire opportunities at camp the way you can here. Seven on seven doesn't contain it at all because they don't have you know typically that that look, and your your uh, uh, even your eleven on elevens. There's just so limited number of those that they actually run. You just can't replace game live fire. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, there was one play in particular where I remember that OA was lined up to rush the passer and he did that drop off just like we've seen Judon do, just like we've seen Bowser do. And he, he looked natural in it. And that was like, okay, you know, he's in that same role that the Ravens put their outside linebackers in. And I think he, he looked natural in it. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, his role in this defense. I think that, um, this is definitely going to be the same kind of wink defense that we've seen in years past, but, you know, maybe he has a little bit a few more tools to play with this year than he has in, in the past couple. We, we've talked about all the scarcity of roster spots, and in particular on the defense, it seems like there's one more than they can keep at basically every position. Even even inside linebacker with Christian Welch being a fifth, I don't think that's going to happen. But but you know, at defensive line, they have they have extra players they'll probably lose on the practice squad. Certainly at safety in the corner, they're at, they're at tremendous risk of losing guys. And an outside linebacker, you know, they're having to make a decision on six versus five that comes up with this. Is this a year finally we see a 26-24 roster, do you think? Because the offensive side of the ball certainly has a lack of relative talent. Yeah, I, I think you have to um, because, I mean, I guess you can make the argument that you don't know who's good on the offensive side of the ball, so maybe you want to keep an extra player just because you're not sure about the players you are keeping. But I think you're at risk of losing some really good players if you if you don't do that kind of 26-24 split. Um, I think, you know, Lamar Jackson's at a, at a point in his career where you don't need to have two backup quarterbacks with him. Um, and, you know, you know, the two quarterbacks we saw, I mean, this is in the offensive po- side of the podcast but I, I saw a guy in Tyler Huntley who who looked like he can do the things that Lamar does and yeah. um I mean, I mean there's definitely an opportunity for to see some more out of him but um I, I don't see a reason to keep Nick Sorley on the roster if Huntley can continue to look like he did in, in this game I mean McSorley can be kept on the practice squad and yeah. and you know he'll be available if if uh, Lamar were oh my god to go down I, I'm not sure anything matters at that point but um Huntley uh, is a stylistic match for Lamar, like you mentioned, and, and just completely different as a runner. We saw in that second half, even though McSorley took off a couple times for some decent yardage in the first half, um, Huntley, much more dangerous runner. And, and he's got a really big cannon of an arm. It's, it's, it's different from McSorley. It's probably better than Lamar's as well uh, in terms of really being able to lay the ball out flat over a long distance. I think the very first day or second day of camp, there's a, there's a you know, a, 55-yard throw in the air probably he made and it was a it was a it wasn't your typical 
lobbed into the bucket football for the early days of camp. It was a, you know, it was a cannon shot. Yeah, I mean, he has the physical tools for sure. I mean, there's still some some mental processing that he probably needs to improve on. But in terms of, like you said, the the, the kind of the fit with, with Lamar Jackson, you know, just kind of like the explosive movements that he has, the suddenness, the escapability in the pocket, that's not something that McSorley really brings to the same extent. And, you know, I think that's something that the, the Ravens are going to need in their offense if for whatever reason Lamar Jackson couldn't, couldn't play. Yeah. And get at, I think getting back to the 26-24 question in a, in a broader sense, whatever position group you go to, offensive line, tight end, um, wide receiver, the Ravens' last guy on the bubble at each of those positions is a lot less likely to be pilfered than on any, basically at any defensive position. And so what that, what that tells me is that if you have practice squad elevations anyway on a weekly basis, and maybe there is a week where you want Mason on the roster just to show more of a, of a specific type of 13 personnel against some team. Well, okay, you still can probably keep him there, elevate him twice, and, uh, and still have him. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think they're, 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 the, the flexible roster moves may even give them additional incentive to go to 26-24 this year. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if the Ravens put one of their wide receivers on the practice squad, I, I think they might be more at risk of, of being picked up than one of their tight ends slash fullbacks, if you're we're talking about Ben Mason, who, I mean, he, he made a nice play on special teams, but I don't see anything in terms of what he can do on the, on the offensive side of the ball. He just, he doesn't offer enough as a pass catcher, and, and I mean, maybe there's some, you know, impressive blocking that he can do, but I, I didn't see it in this game, and, and Maybe there's something that we'll see from him in the future, but I just don't see a, a role for him on this on this 53. Or, or, or maybe not the need to keep him this year. It could be he, he he gets a role next year. Yeah, but it could be this year he's he he spends it on the practice squad. But you have guys on the edge of the of the practice squad are not in tremendous um, danger. The the guy who's in a little bit of danger to be taken would be Tomlinson if they caught him, just because blocking tight ends are typically a short supply area. There just aren't that many that are really good at it. But the, you know, Polge. And Wolf and and those kind of guys who could who could be on the I think they're you know not not automatically taken certainly at a minimal yeah and, and I I think Oliver will make the 53 man roster just from everything that he's he's shown um, with as a pass catcher and I think he's a, a solid blocker too I I think he has some ability to play um, both roles um, as a tight end and I think that clearly um, you know Nick Boyle we don't know exactly what his health issue is going to be and if he's going to be available at the start of the season um, but he's another guy who might start and put be put on the three week IR to show up um, you know a few weeks in or or he could be on PUP and and wait to come back until later in the season the Ravens have done that a number of times and and it wouldn't shock me if they if they look for a midseason replacement scheduled like that and, and give Boyle the additional time obviously to 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 get better Gabe it, it is such a pleasure to talk football with you we always let this run a little long whenever you're on because we we you know, it's just a great conversation, very organic. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. So you can find me on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. Um, I'm pretty active there, especially, um, you know, now that the game day is coming around, I'll probably be, you know, tweeting pretty regularly. Um, and then I'm also co-hosting the Situation Room um, with Jordan Coe. And we probably have a, a first preseason game uh, kind of, wrap up um, coming out in the next couple of days so be on the lookout for that all right outstanding uh josh anything to talk about uh yeah get in your questions for tomorrow's offensive show using the hashtag film study mailbag 
Uh, now that games are back, let's get uh, the Q&A back using that hashtag. All right. I'll try and promo that tomorrow, Josh. I appreciate you reminding me. And you know what? That. I've got a mailbag question for tonight. Real quick. Uh, kind of off the field is this is the first time in a while for fans to be back in the stadium. How much of an impact do you see that making this season after such a weird season? Okay, for a, for a preseason game, I'll start with the answer is none. Well, yeah, I, I, I get preseason. I just mean in general. Yeah. I, yes. Uh, but, but yes, I think for the regular season, the, the Ravens have had a big home field advantage. And it's something they lost a couple home games uh, this year that, you know, they, it was a come from behind situation in the second half that is atypical of Ravens, uh, uh, Ravens defensive units. What do you think, Gabe? I completely agree with you. I think there's two types of quarterbacks who were affected or not affected so much last year. Um, that was veteran quarterbacks who could just take advantage of of hearing you know the calls that are being made and be able to uh, you know do things that they wouldn't normally be able to do if there was a lot of crowd noise. And I think also rookie quarterbacks last last year didn't have that kind of intimidating crowd presence that they normally would feel on the road. So they were able to kind of come out and and just you know be comfortable and not have to deal with some of the pressure situations that they might have dealt with before. So I think for a couple of those second-year quarterbacks, it might be a little bit of a rude awakening to what the NFL environment is actually like. Yeah. All right. All right. So, yeah, go on over to Twitter, hashtag film study mailbag, and get your questions in. Okay, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.